This week on the Black Refresh 2020 show, we have actor, writer, producer, Michael Cornaccia. Michael tells us about how his philosophy changed from not believing in white privilege to now being a staunch Black Lives Matter activist. Okay, welcome back to another episode of Black Refresh 2020. I'm your host, Todd Inman. And today we have a very special interview in the midst of the Black Lives Matter revolution. Uh, it's coming on the conclusion of the George Floyd murder by the Minnesota police officers. Uh, we've seen a lot of peaceful protests full of diversity, uh, not only in the United States, but across the world. Uh, and unfortunately, we have seen some riots and destruction of property. Uh, however, for me personally, it's the best feeling of hope I've ever had related to race relations uh, and also for the equality for black people in general in this country. Today joining me uh, is a very special guest. His name is Michael Cornaccia. Uh, he's an actor, writer, producer, an LGBT activist in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. So thank you for joining me, Mike. And please let me know your thoughts in terms of, do you share some of the optimism that I have coming on the, 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 the heels of what we've seen? I do, actually. I do. I am extremely optimistic. Watching the initial protest to the murder of George Floyd, which let's not you know say it's anything else but a murder, uh, it was incredible. And then the, the rioting and the looting that broke out afterwards, which we found out wasn't even the protesters, it was mostly white supremacists trying to make it look like the protesters so the conservatives could have something to bitch about. Um, I thought we were done because all my, you know, white, I'm not racist friends were like, well, look at the looting. But then the last few days have been thousands and thousands of people peacefully protesting. Mm. I walked in a march out here in Los Angeles and it was beyond peaceful. People were giving out food, restaurants were giving out water, people were driving up and giving out water. It was, it, it was, it, that was incredible. And it, just the fact that it escalated to even more peace and more people and more solidarity, more and more white people, we're coming out and are coming out. And I, on my Facebook feed, I'm hearing so many people say, I don't like this. And it's for the first time mm. that they're saying it. And to me, that is that is hope. But there is such a long road to go that I, I mean, I just don't know if we'll get there in my or your lifetime, but I do feel like this is, we did turn a slight corner and I think you're right. I do share that optimism. I really do. Yeah, yeah. So, so Mike, let me let me kind of step back and and, and learn a little bit more about you. Uh, so, Mike, you've you've actually been so so far ahead of the curve in terms of your recognition that there was a problem in this country um, that that Black people experience and have experienced. Um, you know, of course, that is not so much uh, shared by a lot of uh, white people. Um, however, in your case, you know, you've definitely been ahead of the curve in, in recognizing what was going on. What, what would kind of, how would you explain your insight? How did you become so insightful? Well, I can tell you the truth. I, I, went, I, I went to college at USC, University of Southern California. And then when I graduated, I studied theater and I needed to audition and I needed to uh, work a job so that I could audition. And I didn't want to be a waiter because I'd be terrible at it. And I didn't want to worry about a job that I'd have to say, can I leave and go on this audition? So I got a job working at USC in their call center, the night shift. Mm. So I would answer phone calls for anything from a dorm having a flood to a patient needing to speak to their doctor to a, a liver transplant. I mean, I was basically in the call center and I worked with one other person at nights and her name is Sandra Isom White. Okay. And I was 24 and she was a 54 year old black woman. And I worked with her for two years from 1998 until 2000. And she was, and is still an incredible friend and a magnificent teacher. Cause mm -hmm. she grew up in the fifties in Rhode Island. And she moved out here in the seventies with her husband and she has her son. And she would hear me on the phone talking to my friends and the stories she would tell me, the, 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 the story she would tell me about being a black woman in the 50s and in the 60s. And it wasn't like, poor me, 
she her sense of humor her sense of understanding her genuineness her i don't give up about the whole thing it was it, it's it's just enamoring and everyone loved sandra because mm -hmm. she tells you as it is and the one thing she told me that always stuck with me is she said to me that you know she told her son the only you already have one mark against you in this world and it's because you're black and uh i was a young punk and I, you know, I was, I am very funny. I've done a lot of funny things. I've been in a lot of television shows and commercials and stuff. And I grew up thinking that racism was over because, you know, we were taught it was over. And, um, you know, I just thought it was, I was naive. And when she told me that, and that was years ago, it just stuck with me. And then I've met so many other, I do believe that black women are um, angels on this planet. So <laughs> I've met so many wonderful black women and their strength and the, the adversity is inspiring. And so that's what Sandra was to me. And um, I don't, I did not mean to cry over that, but I just was lucky enough to work with her and she opened up my eyes. And like, then uh, social media happened. And uh, like I said, I'm really funny and I have a way of, conveying that message of how insane it is that a mother has to tell her child that they have one mark against them simply because of their skin color. If I have some kind of a mouthpiece to say how crazy that is, I will. And I know better than any. I grew up white privileged. I, for a long time, didn't believe in it. For a long time, secretly liked it. And I think when people admit it, they think they're racist. and. That's why there's such a strong, I don't believe in white privilege from the white group, from white people. But it doesn't mean you're racist if you admit it. It means you're racist if you do not admit it. So why not? And I'm gay. So that kind of adds to the whole marginalized thing. You know, um, I had a march in 2008 for my right to marry. In 2008, I had a march in Los Angeles. We lost the right to marry in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. In Los Angeles in 2008. Mm -hmm. Crazy. So Crazy. it's... I think I'm ahead of the curve because if I wasn't gay, I would think like all the... I would think like a lot of straight white men, you know? No, what the fuck, this didn't happen to me. It happened with a bunch of people in the South over 100 years ago, let's get over it, you know? But, you know, Civil Rights Act was 1965 and that was after they murdered Martin Luther King Jr. And there was like six months of rioting or I don't know how long, but there should have been. It's just insane to me, like even that, think about that, they killed him. Mm -hmm simply because he was speaking up for the rights of black people. Like there are pe white people out there who hate simply because they were raised to hate. Right, and, right. and it is systemic yeah. and it comes from slavery. I used to think, well, slavery is over, it's yeah. done. But no, it's just changed its name mm -hmm. to, you know, a for-profit prison system. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that, you know, the greatest civil rights leader of our time, the president who abolished slavery, murdered. Yeah. Black people murdered. And I think George Floyd's, I haven't even watched it. I've seen the pictures. I heard he calls out for his mom. I cannot watch that. I mean, I watched a koala on fire the other night on television, on YouTube, trying to be happy. They were like, nine people have done great things. And they showed this woman who saved this koala from the fires. And I started bawling. So I can't even watch George Floyd. I've seen the pictures and I've heard it. And I think it's just incredible that this is 2020 America and the way that man is just so nonchalant with his hands in his pocket. It's just symbolic. I mean, it's an incredible symbol of what America is. The black man on his butt, down on the ground with the white knee on his neck. And to deny that is disgusting. And to not want to fix it is even worse.
Oh, and 12 Years a Slave. I watched that movie. Okay. Holy God. Mm, mm. Oh, my. See, they gloss over slavery in uh, school. Right, right. Gloss it over. But for those who don't know 12 Years a Slave, it is a legitimate account of a man who was abducted, a freed black man who was a musician in the North, went to the South thinking he was going to play in a band, and they abducted him and threw him into slavery. So he was educated and he was thrown into slavery. And no one believed that he was freed because of course they all would say that they were freed and they didn't care. Mm -hmm. He didn't care. Mm -hmm. So he was able to eventually, after being enslaved for 12 years, get out and then write about it. So it's a legitimate, intelligent account. Right. And it's it's not just, oh, you just have to work for us and you're gonna go and live in that place and we'll go over here. No, they tortured, mm -hmm. they ripped families apart, they treated them like, worse than animals. I don't really think we treat animals bad, but I mean, they just, it was crazy. Mm. I told people that, you know, that show uh, Blackfish about SeaWorld, I was like, Blackfish made me hate SeaWorld and 12 Years a Slave made me hate white people. I mean, not that I hate white people and they're like, I hate white people and I've had people say that. I love white people. But I think in general throughout history, haven't been so nice. So, so Mike, you know, you, you talked about uh, your experience, um, you know, before you were enlightened, you know, after you met this this this, this nice this nice woman. Um, so now, what were your thoughts before you were enlightened? Like, as far as, as and, and you know, as far as race is concerned, like, did, did did you think everything was was equal? Did you did did you did you not? What were your thoughts? I mean, I really thought, yeah. I mean. I was ignorant and I was naive to what it was. I thought that everybody lived the way I did. And I think most people do. And it really wasn't until I started studying theater in college where I had teachers who would explain to me, well, you have to build a character. You know, when you have a character, you have to build a character. And that entails really having to build a life around someone. I mean, the more you believe in this life, and that simply means in creatively in your mind no one else has to know build a life mm -hmm. you know i was officer krupke in west side story and i i i this is only telling you this because it helps and i would think about who my parents were what my childhood was like and if you come up and usually your brain will give you like an instant idea and usually that's the best the first one that instinctively comes to you so then you start to build this life in your mind and when you build that life in your mind you believe it, you experience it, and then you let go of it, and then it comes out in your work. That's how it's supposed to work. We'll do that in life. You know, somebody says something to me, I think, well, why did that person say that? What was their intention? I actually think about it almost like a scene, not to be a pretentious actor, but I'm seriously talking about deconstructing life the way you would deconstruct a script. Mm. Who is that person? Where are they coming from? But before I learned all of that, I was like most people in my own white bubble. Mm -hmm. I had black friends in high school. I was nice to them. I didn't think anything of it. I wasn't, I wasn't racist, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I completely profited from my skin color. I mean, I think I got that job at USC because I was a white guy with a college degree. They were like, oh my God, yes, there's nobody here who looks like you or has that, please. Mm -hmm. I think that's why I get a lot of stuff. Um, but what's really cool now in Hollywood is they're not casting white people anymore. They're going after white men. They're going after women and women of color and men of color. And I have zero problem with that. I'm sick of seeing me on TV too. <laughs> so um, basically uh, I was naive to it. I was focused on being an actor in Hollywood. I had left my family when I was 18 to come out to California. I, I went to USC and I thought, you know, what a great place it'll be to learn about LA while I'm going to school in LA. And it was all about that. You know, it was about being in the plays. It was all, oh, everything's fine. I love black people, da, 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 da. And I was all caught up in my own white world. Mm -hmm. I didn't really, I thought, I never thought about someone being told, you know, people are gonna just judge you. And we do. When I was in college, I took a couple classes and I did actually start to learn as well. You know, like, oh, I do have implicit bias, you know? We're raised with it. It's We are marinated in a white supremacist society. Mm. And if you don't acknowledge that, then you are part of it. It's like the matrix. Just pull that thing out of the back of your head and go, okay. 
It doesn't, just because you were plugged into it doesn't mean you liked it. Mm -hmm. You didn't know you were plugged into it. Mm -hmm. But for even people to wrap around what I just said, it would hurt their brain, mm -hmm. a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So it's easier just to sit back in your own ideas and comfortability, because that's what the human brain needs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so, so let me ask you this, Mike, you know, just kind of staying along that theme of, of your your, your, your thoughts before you were enlightened, right? You know, saying, we, you know, I, I kind of want to uh, delve into that a little bit just so that we can have a better understanding of- Yeah. Why are you mad at me? I had nothing to do with your slavery. It's what you hear like Mitch McConnell say, the Senate right, Majority right. Leader. Right, right. So, so, so let me ask you this, Mike. So, you know, as far as, um, you, you grew up in, in the suburbs, uh, probably what, 95% white? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, so that being the case, Mike, um, you know, your exposure to black people besides the five percent that you befriended, you know, in school and stuff. But you know, you would see the, you know, you're around my age, so the shows like Good Times, you know, yep. it was a poor Jeffersons. Black, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I mean, as far as like the Good Times, a poor black family, you know. Yes. And, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I personally believe that that shows like that, although they were hilarious and I think they were important, I do believe for all of us, meaning black and white, would see that kind of stuff and it, it puts an image in your mind. That, yeah. You know, bl black people, you know, are poor, they're struggling, you know, uh, you know what I'm saying, type of situation, you know? So um, I'm sure that influenced you to some degree in terms of, of course. defining what black people were, you know? I mean, I'm trying to think of other black shows on television. I mean, obviously. Sanford and Son, you know, he was a drunk, he was yes. a drunk dealer. He yeah. A drunk dealer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so shows like that, you know, and, and even what's happening, which, you know, we both, we both, I'm sure loved, loved. Uh, you know, but remember she, uh, uh, Raj was raised by a single mom. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, she, you know, was overweight, you know, I mean, and, oh, yeah. you know, rerun was terrible in school. You know, it, it was a lot of messaging yeah. uh, through, through images that helped to define what black people were for someone like yourself who didn't really know blacks, you know? Yeah. I mean, no, yeah. God, not only that, think about all this stuff prior to the seventies that came on in reruns, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, and, and how black people were presented, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, you know they, they, were, they, were, they were the help, you know, mm -hmm. uh, they, you know, they were butlers, they were drivers, you know? So I, I think to your point about that, that white supremacist attitude, like you said, yes, a lot of it is taught, but a lot of it is 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 inherited just through visuals, right? And you know, that from, in itself is taught. Like we're we learn from television, right? We, absolutely. We expect, but you know, being out here, man, and being being in the business, you really it's it's literally about what is going to keep people's eyes on the screen so that they'll watch the commercials in between, mm -hmm. and they play up on the stereotypes. Mm -hmm. There's just such a fine line, especially in comedy. You know, I'm Italian. And I love, I play up on the stereotypes all the time. Like, how you doing, what's the matter? You know, and I do like the mafia. I mean, I used to do so much mafia stuff. Right, right. Yeah, where's your money? She's gonna get over here, I'm gonna show you something. You understand me? But I don't think that's ever gonna change. There's always just gonna be stereotype after stereotype after stereotype on, mm -hmm. on, the, uh, uh, on entertainment. Um, but the good news is I think with social media, you're seeing people break through that, mm -hmm. you know? Um, influencers, and there are some really awesome ones out there who are continually speaking the truth. But you're right, there is no question. I mean, look at all of the um, Dean Martin roasts from the mm. 70s. Mm. I, I, it, I worshiped them as a young comedian. Mm -hmm. And Don Rickles, who, you know, is considered one of the most racist slash unracist comedians as he always said, and he had a heart, but all of that culture shoved down our eyeballs at such a young age was a massive and continues to be influence on me. Mm -hmm. I mean, there has to be a huge change in everything, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I think it's happening. Yeah, I, I agree, I agree. So, so, you know, basically, you know, from what you and I just kind of uh, went into and, and and thought about like you know it you know what I'm saying it's um you know we, we can see where the the root of of, of a, a white supremacist ideology uh, even if they don't consider themselves you know but just that ideology that you kind of inherently adopt of being superior right yes because, because of the things we, we, we just yes. yeah. Yeah. can you hear me yeah I can hear you okay it's like the there's this um 
I don't know if it's a cartoon or what, but it's these, there's two fish swimming in a fishbowl and another fish swims up to them and says, hey, fellas, how's the water? And the one fish goes, what's water? You know, you don't know you're in it, you right. know? Again, that whole thing. Yeah. And yeah. it's and that's what's so funny because none of us on this planet created white supremacy. Mm. It was created a very, very, very long time ago. Mm -hmm. And it was, and there were rules set up mm -hmm you know, uh, subversive or, or clandestine rules a lot mm -hmm. to maintain that. And it's simply the fear of losing the white race, which mm -hmm. who cares? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what to me blows my mind. It's like this, you're gonna be dead. Like, why do you even care? What happens to the, on the, and, it, and I'm full-blooded Italian, my parents, both parents are Italian. All four grandparents are Italian. I think full-blooded anything are like full-blooded dogs. They're little nuts. I think it's important to mix up things a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I just, that, that, but those rules were set in place. And the protection of those rules is something else. Mm -hmm. We are conditioned to protect. Mm -hmm. We are conditioned not to speak up. Mm -hmm. We are conditioned to tell others in a nice way not to speak up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We are conditioned to ever so slightly act as if what your problem is as a black person mm -hmm. isn't that big a deal. And you should be happy that you're not enslaved anymore. That isn't what they think, but that is the root of where it comes from. Mm -hmm. Right, gotcha. So, so Mike, as far as... Um... You know, sticking with that theme, you know, you, you mentioned about the the fears of of, of whites. So, you know, as far as, you know, it, what do you believe? Well, obviously, you, you agree there's a fear, but, you know, as far as what the fear is specifically, like, what are they afraid of? Like, if, if African-Americans, if minorities were to have equality, you know, have the same opportunities that, that white America has, um, you know, let's say in the future, what that looks like. Is there a fear that, that there'll be retribution that, you know, we would do to, to you no, all? No, I don't think so. I, don't, I think if there was retribution, there would be at this point. I think the incredible strength of the Black person to withstand the, the tyranny of the white man for so long is, is it, I don't fear that. I think it's the, the fear of the loss of privilege. Mm. They fear, if you get it, we'll lose it. Mm. Mm. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. And maybe there is slight fear of retribution. I, I, I don't, I don't feel that to be the case. Mm -hmm. But I also don't mind it if there was retribution because I kind of believe there should be. <laughs> I also believe there should be reparations. I don't think black people should have to pay sales tax. I think we should do a lot of things for black people that would piss off a lot of white people because why do they get to do that? There's this idea when they hear the word privilege, most people are conditioned and grow up and most people have crap happen in their lives. Even, you know, Tom Cruise, who everyone thinks probably has the most amazing life, has crap happen mm -hmm. in his lives. Mm -hmm. So that is gonna, that idea, those ideas of the terrible things in your life, the things in the, I'm sorry, those ideas, those ideas of the terrible things in your life over and over replaying make you think, well, I'm not privileged. One of the biggest fears uh, with white privilege is that if you, you, you think to yourself, I'm not privileged because the word privileged makes you think rich, makes you think nothing is wrong, but that's not it. Uh, of course, everyone, even Tom Cruise, who I'm sure everyone thinks has this most amazing life, has problems. Mm -hmm. Everyone has problems mm -hmm. that our brains are conditioned to think about over and over and over again. It's terrible that we do that, but that's a whole other show. Mm -hmm. But we think about these problems over and over and over again, and then we're like, screw you, you think I'm privileged? I'm not, like I was in a car accident, you know, my so-and-so died, uh, uh, things to that effect. So they don't want to admit it because they don't believe it. A clear example is I had a Facebook friend once and I was talking about white privilege and I don't know this person. I friend a lot of people that I don't know. So um, he had talked about how bullshit, there is no such thing as white privilege. You know, I got probation for having a, a dime bag wherever in the center 
southern state he lived in. And I was like, well, see, the difference is you don't see that as being privileged. If a black person had a dime bag in that area, he would probably be in jail. Mm. So uh, there's an incredible video on the internet where it has people all about to do a race, but the person with the megaphone has talks about, have you ever had to worry about, if you've ever had to worry about paying your rent, take a step back. And it was like all the white people stayed in the front, black people took a step back. If you ever had to worry about a police officer killing, you know, things to that effect, just all the things black people have to worry about that white people don't even think about, had to step back. So, and so it just showed you how far black back, how far black, how far back black people had to actually start mm. at this race from mm -hmm. white people. Mm -hmm. But how the hell do white people know when they're still at the beginning and they and they think about their own problems? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that that not understanding privilege in conjunction with also deep down inside not wanting to lose it mm -hmm. is why there's this fight for it. And also they think that, you know, more and more minorities are becoming the majority in this country, which is fantastic. But the, the white supremacists, for some ignorant reason, don't want that to happen. Mm -hmm. It's not going to change their lives. Right. They're still going to be white. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. So, um... So yeah, you know, I, you know, you, you definitely shed a lot, a lot of light on that. So, you know, as far as your, ha, have you been able to, as as an enlightened, uh, you know, white man, been able to influence any of your friends that maybe thought the way you used to thought or used to think? I'm sorry, and now they've come to a, a higher level of consciousness. I'd like to say I don't. I'd like to say yes, but I, I don't know. I mean, I like that the people I hung out with and hang out with now all think like I do. There is an interesting sub issue with being gay and white is that no one knows I'm gay when they meet me. In fact, I have a lot of times when I meet people in certain areas of California, because LA is pretty much the diverse part of it. If you go 20, 30 miles outside of this city, you're gonna get into small towns. And I do that a lot when I, you know, I, I, I do a lot of corporate events and whatnot. And, I have to be wary of where I'm at. So, but that's that's just my little glimpse into what being something most people are told not to like is. Um, and even more of an issue is the white gay man who doesn't like black men. And they call it a preference, which is an unspoken racist deal with them. Because white gay men are one step away from, from being a white straight man. So we, we, we see the same privilege. I mean, Todd, I can walk into any store, any building, you know, without high security and not be questioned. In fact, when I walk into places, people think I'm in charge mm. all the time. I go to pick up my husband from work uh, he works at a, a, a restaurant and his customers ask if I'm the owner. I don't even say anything. That's how much we are conditioned to think. I was at a convention as a, a brand ambassador in Vegas and I got lost in the convention center. Not only did anybody around tons of expensive equipment, not only did people not question why I was there, but because I had a, I had a clipboard and I was wearing some nice pants, they thought I was in charge. Wow. So I, I used to cultivate medical marijuana and I used to drive all around town with it, not wearing one iota because I was white. Hmm. It's, there is a privilege and it's not money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the ability to walk anywhere you want on this planet without being questioned. Right and without being murdered. Yes. yes. So, yeah. And I'm not saying get rid of it. Let black people be able to walk around anywhere they want and not be questioned. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, let me ask you this, you know, switching gears, you know, since you, you, you brought up, um, you know, your husband and, and that you're gay. So as far as, you know, obviously under the President o Obama administration, you guys got a, a, a major win. Right, you're, you know, with with gay marriage, 
We did. I have some issues and I'll be fully transparent. I think, and I understand how politics work. I think he came out a little too late for my taste, but I'm glad he did. No question. I'm glad, and I know why he had to do that. It clearly eventually became a win. Uh, and but when Barack Obama and Joe Biden and and then they, they not only did they come out forward, they fully came out forward. And watching the White House with the rainbows on it, with the rainbow on it, was inspiring and wonderful. And I am grateful. But I also think it pissed off a lot of people who voted for Trump. <laughs> right, 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 right. Of course, of course. But you know, there's going to be. When you have a society that is as intelligent as ours is, mm -hmm. you know, we are intelligent. Mm -hmm. uh, as a whole, we're not, but individually, a lot of us are. And as, and that that individual intelligence needs to move and shift. You're going to have give and pull, give and take. Mm -hmm. You're going to have two steps forward, one step back. It's just the way it is. It's how life is. Mm -hmm. And you can either fight that or you can go with it. <laughs> and if it goes off course, try to get it back on course you know so so i bring it up mike you know i'm just curious you know uh, from it, it appeared to me you know just based on what i was exposed to and i don't know the numbers i never you know looked it up or anything but do you feel like that that the gay community especially after that big win under president obama that they that they showed up to the polls against trump in 2016 in, in yeah. the type of oh, yeah no at least the ones i know and i know a lot of gay people mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah, yeah. I think gay people, uh, well, because when you when you are accepting of yourself as a homosexual, mm -hmm. that means you have done a lot of work on yourself. Mm -hmm. That means you have accepted who you are, even though the general population, for the most part, may not. Mm -hmm. And if you understand who you are and you're okay with who you are, that takes a certain degree of intelligence. Mm -hmm. I know gay people who left LA and went to, you know, um, to battleground states to fight for Hillary because they were worried about Trump. You know, mm -hmm. I, I even had conversations with close family members who tried to convince me that Trump would be better for gay people than Hillary. Mm -hmm. But this is the problem. It wasn't even, you have a right-wing conservative machine that is a brilliant marketer. Mm -hmm. They spent 20 years vilifying the most qualified person to be president. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton was secretary of state, first lady, a two-time senator. I don't know how many times she was senator. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, bad with numbers. But three things, high levels, and she excelled at all of them. And you were able to have her vilified. They were able to make people hate Hillary because her husband had an affair. These are the same people who market against gay people and black people. Because the only way these conservative elites will maintain their power is to convince the small, white, yet loud group of people to vote conservatively. Or if they don't, life as they know it will end. Gay people will come in and convert their children. Black people will come in and assimilate. Latinos will come in and, and take your jobs. The, this is all still pumped out. It's not pumped out on an ad. They're not gonna put out an ad like this, but they're gonna do whisper campaigns and they're gonna use Facebook groups and they're gonna conspire with other countries to make sure that they maintain power. So, So, we have so, a lot of work to do. Yeah. And I do believe that the, the gay community tried their hardest, their hardest for Hillary. But you just had, you have such a strong, strong, powerful Koch brothers. Just the money that they spew into maintaining their power is, I mean, it's incredible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they want to maintain it. So, of course, they're going to do everything they can. And if they have the money to maintain it, they're going to do it. So that's what we're fighting against. Right, right. So, so Mike, Mike, do you feel like that with the, what's going on, you know, what we've seen the last three and a half almost going on, well, three and a half years under Trump, has there been enough, uh, you know, feathers ruffled in the, in the gay community that you guys are going to come out and vote? Or is there, is there anger or is it kind oh, of- Oh yeah, no, there, there's no question. I, I, there's everyone I know is on campaign or working on things and, 
Um, but see, I, I live in a very progressive community. Like, yeah. I'm an actor, I'm a gay actor living in Los Angeles. You yeah. know what I mean? Even if you're not gay and you're in my circle, you're probably a creative person who thinks like I do. I mean, yeah. it's just what we do. Mm -hmm. We hang around people who think like we think. Mm -hmm. Now, what's happening in other parts of the country with gay people, I don't know. Like, there are, you know, gay Republicans out there. And I used to make fun of them. I don't think it's fair to. Uh, and I don't think just because you're Republican, you're against black people or gay people. I, I, I do believe in the original Republican ideas of fiscally conservative, but I'm extremely social, socially liberal, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I would hope that people come out, everyone comes out and votes against Trump. I really do. I do think that we are on a tipping point in America. We're about to go down either the autocratic slide or the democratic slide. And we have to pick which slide we want to go down. And I'm very, very fearful that this big conservative marketing machine who also likes to cheat, and I'm not saying Democrats don't cheat, okay? but I'm saying they certainly like to cheat. You know, if Trump is willing to make, put a fake picture of himself on the cover of Time Magazine in his, uh, one of his uh, uh, golf courses, then what's to say he's uh, not above fixing an election? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now that's a conspiratorial idea, I understand that. But I guarantee you, if we allow mail-in voting, which I think we should, and I think they're gonna do, and he loses, I think he's gonna say that it was fixed. I think he's gonna say it was fixed if he loses no matter what. Right. So he said it was fixed when he lost the popular vote by three million, by saying three million illegal aliens, which I think is the most horrendous term anyway, mm -hmm. voted, which is a complete lie. But he he is beyond an autocrat. He's like not even good at doing it. He is, he's unfit. Like he is a danger. He's the biggest weapon of mass destruction to our democracy right now. The tear gassing of people and William Barr is even worse. And his enablers are just incredible. And to sit here and say, oh, it's one-sided. It's like, no, I watch these people in on Congress questioning, in their hearings questioning, and I know what people are doing. And they're not doing, these conservatives, the Republicans in Congress, the majority of them are not leading with the people's interest in mind. Agreed. Sorry. And you could say the same thing about some Democrats, but I can honestly say, you know, Matt Gates, who's from Florida, this, he's a representative from Florida, he's like a frat boy. He was at a, a, this hearing and someone had mentioned how they flipped the house in 2018 to Democrats. He's like, but what about 2016? <laughs> That's what the people said. It's like, are you crazy? Do you not know how consecutive numbers work? If you were still doing a great job by 2018, you would have maintained the house. <laughs> Just, it's insane. You listen to these people. Mitch McConnell's like, uh, 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 well, I, I think the, 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 the state should just go bankrupt. I mean, he is the 45th out of 50th state in most everything. And he's been in the Congress for 35 years and become a millionaire. Why is he there? Right. Right. Who is he working for? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we focus on the president, mm -hmm. but don't forget about all these other sons of bitches who are letting him do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, get it. I get it. I fear, Todd, that we're going to turn into Russia, mm. which is an oligarchical society. It's mm. run by rich people who pretend to be the heads of certain institutions. Mm. And Trump is putting his friends in those institutions. He's getting rid of watchdogs, and the Republicans are letting him do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think Nixon was corrupt, this guy... Yeah. And it's, I'm not being hyperbolic when I say this, it's insane. Mm -hmm. So I think he's proven to the point now that he is so terrible that you either will vote for him to get out or be a supporter and vote for I don't think you're gonna change anybody's minds at this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, this has been three and a half years of a disaster, a dumpster fire. It really is, it really is. And, and We've it, gone downhill. Oh yeah. Fast. Yeah, yeah. And, and the irony that, you know, talking about great again, you know, it, it's the irony. It, it literally it's incredible, but that's the white that's the white mentality. Do you understand what white people do? They see a problem, they ignore it. Mm. They pretend it's not there. They talk about it as if it is not what it is. That is what these blind white people are doing with what Trump has done.
they've convinced themselves because this marketing machine lists a one a, a, a plethora of things that Trump has accomplished, mm -hmm. and they look great on paper, and they convince themselves. If you, you watch media bias, you watch what you agree with, mm -hmm. but what you agree with says a lot about who you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So don't give me that. Well, they're only being fed lies by Fox News. They believe the lies. Mm -hmm. And if I watch Fox News. These people are not earnest in the way they depict what's going on in the slightest. It's like watching WWE or F or whatever the hell it's called. Mm -hmm. The fake wrestling. Right. I went to a fake wrestling match, man, years ago. My friend took me. He had tickets. He knew the camera guy. We went down. You know, it was incredible how many people were there, mostly white. How many people believed what was happening was real. These choreographed athletes beating the crap out of each other, which looked fake, was real, screaming. These guys would go off the mat into the backstage area. A, a, a big jumbotron would come down and we'd watch them in the parking lot pretending to yell at each other. When you know backstage, they're just changing outfits and that was shot three weeks ago. It's a show, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they believe this show. Trump is all about smoke and mirrors it's all about you know he doesn't care if we make fun of him holding the bible up in front of a church his supporters are eating it up mm. that's why he, he's only doing everything to maintain his disgusting brand with his disgusting supporters mm. yeah no, i i agree i agree so now, me, i hope the gay people vote him out i hope everybody does yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let me ask you this, Mike. You know, as far as um, you know, your 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 family, friends uh, who are are not uh, liberal, who are more on the conservative side, that they probably even um, back Trump. But you know, to me, just with with everything that that Trump does, a lot of these decisions end up being decisions that benefit the short term. You know, as an example, you know, the, the whole environmental you know changes he's made. You know that we're going to uh, produce fruit for America longer term. You know, he's like reversed those, those, those laws and, and not just that, but even just what we're dealing with in terms of uh, this, this latest revolution, you know, related to the George Floyd death and some of the decisions that, that aren't looked at from a long-term health of America. You know, is there something going on with, with, with that conservative white society where they're looking at things like for their lifetime and not for the future? Yes. <laughs> That's what most selfish people do. I won't be around, so it doesn't matter. You know, I want to make the money now. I don't care what happens to the environment. And the older you get, the more cynical you are towards it. There's just, it's just, I, I, I've never, my, this, Facebook and social media have just unveiled such a selfish group of baby boomers. And I'm not by any stretch saying, oh, baby boomers, I don't, I like Obi-Wan Kenobi said, only a Sith Lord deals in absolutes, okay? I don't believe all baby boomers are, but I think, I mean, if you wanna talk about being marinated in a white supremacist society and, and having a hard time realizing it and let alone breaking free from it, that's your group. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones who are, you know, still in charge. And I feel they're the ones who wouldn't relinquish what their parents relinquished to them to the, to the, to the next generations because they were afraid of losing it. It's incredible to me. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, I read on Twitter, there's, and this was such an incredible tw uh, tweet, and I'm sure it's, a, it's been going around, but it said, there are two types of people in this world. The people who say, I I've gone through that, and I don't want you to have to do that. And the people say, I've gone through that, so you should too. Mm. That's it. If you can make someone's life better, it only can better the life around you. That has been my philosophy. Mm -hmm. And don't do it to make the life better. Make do it because you're helping someone. Mm -hmm. So that maybe one day someone will be able to do that to you because you have the ability to do it. Mm -hmm. That's always been my philosophy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I just hope. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, so, so Mike, you know, just, um, you know what, what I'm thinking about is for uh, white friends of ours or, or white white people in general who want to learn more, want, want to maybe maybe they don't want to adopt all of your philosophy, but they want to open their mind to it more, right? 
you know, and they don't have the opportunity to, to meet the, 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 uh, the terrific woman you met to open your mind. There's no excuse. Well, I know, but, but say, what, what can you suggest to them? Things they could read, you know, what can they do to open their minds up? Google, just go to Google. I've done it. I mean, there's something called the 1619 Project and it's a history of slavery. Just read about slavery. And then understand the, the ripple effect of how something that torturous, destructive, evil can ripple through generations, especially when it hasn't been addressed or repaired. Mm. I, to me, the concept of owning another human being is so foreign and evil that how a white person, I know, we all know how despicable that is. Then remove yourself from that and imagine how that horrible time in history, which was over 400 years, still affects society today. The 60s were not that long ago. Segregation was not that long ago. Black people being murdered by white cops is happening today. Think about the history that you know, just without even looking anything up. And then think about what could be and where it should go. And how you can be a part to make it get there. And that is simply speaking up and saying, I do not like how black people are treated in this country. Black lives matter. Don't be upset because you didn't realize it was this bad before. Admit it, move on and do something about it. Vote, people don't vote. And I'm not just talking about the president, like vote locally. Vote in every election. I don't know who to vote for sometimes, but I have a lot of really intelligent friends that I love their posts and they talk about things and I ask them. Be friends with intelligent people and you know who intelligent people are. If you're racist, you're not intelligent. That's just the way it is. Racism is a disease and it stems from ignorance and not understanding, period. And if you're sick and tired, I love the quote when they said, you're sick and tired of hearing about racism. Imagine being a black person who's sick and tired of experiencing it. Because being upset about hearing about racism is white privilege mm -hmm. to the nth degree. Mm -hmm. It's just, that's why I get so upset because I'm not that smart and it makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And it, just look around, open up your eyes, remove your ego from the situation and see what's really happening out there. And let everybody else have a piece of pie. Your piece doesn't have to go away. Just let everybody else have a piece. Yeah. And watch how incredibly fed and happy the world will be. Yes, how, how healthy the world will be. Seriously. Just socially healthy, just, just, you know, just, just humanly, humanly healthy. Jesus, that's really to me what I want before I die. Yeah. You know, I used to want all these things that were so materialistic. And the older I've gotten and the, the more I've done, the more I've seen, it's just, why not have a world that, you know, where everyone is truly equal. And I know that's a snowflake thing to say, and they love to say that, but it can happen. Mm -hmm. People remove the hate from their hearts. And it's going to be a battle, man. Oh, it's yeah. going to be a battle. Yeah. So speaking about that, so... Mike, just to uh, reaffirm that the theme of this show is called Black Refresh 2020, right? And it, it was born out of the fact that we're on this pandemic pause, right? In, in, in history in which a lot of us are homebound. It, it really changed, uh, you know, our lifestyles, obviously. Um, it restricted us. It, you know, has put us in a situation where we're kind of um, uh, on pause, right? You know, until we can resume some level of, of normalcy and freedom, right? Absolutely. So that being the case, I personally believe it's a great time for African-Americans to, you know, use this pause to, to, to strengthen, to unite, to, uh, you know, work towards a goal, a common goal. Uh, and that we come out of this, um, you know, energized and uh, have the opportunity to make up a lot of ground, Michael, that we, uh, you know, are behind in a lot of ways, right? 
So, so that being the case on your end, you know, you're an activism for, um, you know, those two groups, you know, you, you talked about, but if, if you had a wish list on your own, like, okay, how would I like to see things emerge socially at the end of this pause? If you had a wish list, what would it look like? Well, I heard yesterday that Minneapolis is pretty much abolishing their police system as they know it. And I think every other jurisdiction in this country should really think about that. I don't think all police are bad. I don't think anybody should think that. But I do believe the system as a whole is systemically racist and you need to address it and figure it out. Taking money away and look, LA mayor defunded or took money that was appropriated towards the LAPD, over $100 million, and now is going to reinvest that into social uh, causes, into the parts of the community that need it. I mean, keeping a community safe, my wish list would be for city governments to come out of this and to do that, to put money into areas, and you can see which areas need this money more so by seeing who is more so affected through COVID. Black people died more than white people during this, as always, because they don't have the access to healthcare. They, their communities are were intentionally positioned by areas that like have waste, uh, chemical waste. I, I watched an entire documentary about how uh, they basically took areas that slaves had taken over and through generations had built up, and they that's where they put the stuff you don't want in your backyard. Yeah, so, environmental. yeah, so environmental racism. So take a look at all of that. You have the time to look at it. We're revamping things and invest in fixing some of it. I'd love to see incredible schools in inner cities. Just pay teachers what they're worth so that teachers want to teach. You and I went to the most, the number one public high school in the country. And it's because it paid its teachers a lot of money because it's in an affluent area. So the, 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 the good teachers flocked to teach. Do that everywhere. We have the money to do it. If we have the money to go to Syria and prematurely leave so quickly that we have to bomb our own sites in Syria because the enemy was coming in and getting our information. If we have the money to bomb multi-gazillion dollar infrastructures that we set up in Syria, we have the money to make inner city schools excellent. And we have the resources and we have the intelligence and we can do it. But when, when rich people are in charge, they fear equality because to them, they may lose their wealth. And if you're that, and do you understand that the majority of rich people in this country have inherited their wealth? And I have no problem with inheriting anything. I inherited the condo I'm staying in. But I do have a problem with you being ignorant to the fact that there is a massive inequality in this country. And we can fix, we can fix the hate. We can fix the harm. We have the internet. We have the ability. We have the money. We understand more now than we ever did. We can fix it. I hope we do. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, Mike, it's, um, you know, it's definitely been a, a great interview, man. I really appreciate your passion and, and I, I really appreciate your, your dedication to social causes for, the, for both of the groups that, um, that you stand for. And, and Thanks, man. I would love to do more. I, I just, I, I feel like I can, I can make a video. You know, I'll tell you something. And I, we can end on this. I, I was very hesitant about coming out of the closet as an actor in Los Angeles. When I graduated college, the majority of the roles that I was going out for were like funny mafia parts or funny Italian guys, because The Sopranos was so popular that every other television show wanted to have some kind of Soprano character. So I was working quite a bit. Mm. I was very fearful of coming out because I didn't want people to know. I, it, it would be very, it's hard. I just didn't want it to affect my cast. Mm -hmm. So for years, People knew I was gay, but you know, I never really made it public. And then I found out a young man had killed himself because somebody posted a video of him kissing another boy or something online. 
and I was in shock. It was 2007 or eight. Facebook had just come out. And uh, for me, at least, I had just joined it because it was first colleges for a long time before that. And uh, I made the decision to be as vocal about being how awesome gay is that I could. I made videos about it. I made posts about it to the fact where straight people would say, why are you always posting about gay things? Why does there have to be a difference? And I would always say, I'm posting about it for those out there who are scared of being who they are, for them to see me at brunch with my friends, to see me out at the clubs with my friends, to see me uh, on the street with my friends, to see my mother with me and my gay friends, to see my mother having gay people over for dinner who, who, who couldn't go home. And that's really where I began my activism in terms of the gay community. And I, it wasn't like I joined any groups or anything to that effect. And But I feel like that's what I wanna do with what's happening with Black Lives Matter. But I'm definitely taking a seat back because I think a lot of times white people love to explain and over explain and tell people how to feel. And I think it's time to just sit back and let black people take the wheel. I'm doing that with this democratic election. You know, Joe Biden wasn't my first pick, but when the black people picked him, I said, let's do it. I think it's time to let black people, people of color and women lead and the white man sits the F down. Very good. Very good. So, so Mike, let me ask you, uh, I mean, obviously this, this has been a, a, a very serious interview, um, you know, for, for the reasons I named in the beginning of the interview, but um, you know, though I know you as a very funny <laughs> person. <And> it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. I, I know you as a very funny <laughs> person. <laughs> All right. Last free Skate, you mindless sheep. Doors close in 30 minutes forever. <laughs> what do you think you're doing? It should be you. <laughs> Stop whispering. You're creeping me out. <laughs> what do you want, annoying girl? <laughs> you're going to watch my brother remind you how much you love to skate. Fine. The ice whisperer has five minutes. Well, he can't pull that off. He's gonna butcher my signature move! Wee! There's no wee in the double bonaparte! Oh! Oh, put that away! I will not see the double bonaparte tarnished again! <laughs> Time to show them how it's done. It still fits! Does it? Tag out, kid and watch the real sapphire flame light it up. But how can people who are interested to see that side of you, um, you know, do you have a website they can go to? Or yeah, you can go to michaelcornacci.com. It'll take you to my Facebook page. That's pretty much where I'm the most active, you know, being of my generation. Um, it's Michael Cornacci. Uh, I'm sure you'll have uh, .com and I'm sure you have the spelling of my name, but I'm also at the corn father, like, Corn Achia, but Corn Father, because I'm a big fan of the Godfather, and a buddy of mine had coined that term years ago, and I loved it. So I'm at the Corn Father on everything Instagram, um, Twitter, Facebook. I have a, a fan page there. Um, YouTube, I'm Corn Laughter, but you can type in my name. And uh, I even have a TikTok, but I don't really do anything on it, and I don't even know how to watch it. I feel like an old person. I feel like an old person. I'm like, what is this? I don't know. <laughs> What's happening here? But um, yeah, I'm really, I tell people I'm not funny. When people go, I hear you're really funny. Or you're really funny. I go, I'm not funny. I'm hysterical. <laughs> nice. You got to claim it, man. You got to claim yeah. it. Well, this has been a wonderful, Todd. I hope, uh, I don't know. I don't pretend that I understand. I posted this the other day. Somebody wrote, I don't understand, but I will stand with you um, because it has to stop. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. So, uh, you know, appreciate it, Mike. And uh, thanks again for joining us, brother. Thank you for having me, Todd. All right, take care. You too, man. Aristocrat TV, an alternative world for ambitious African-Americans and their diverse social circles. What is an ambitious African-American? Someone that strives to level up in their lives, whatever level that their parents birthed them into, either personally, professionally, or educationally. An aristocrat works hard to take things further. In the span of their lifetime, 
Aristocrat Nation wants to see African Americans take major measurable strides toward restoration and advancement. Why call it Aristocrat TV? Aristocrat is defined as the best and most elegant. In order for African Americans to compete globally, we have to see ourselves as the best and not be influenced by the images that for so long have defined us as the bottom class. Aristocrat TV is inclusive and open to everyone. We live, work, and socialize with people of all ethnicities and want to include them. Members of Aristocrat Nation respect themselves and others, take care of their families, vote, and wake up with a purpose every day. Aristocrat TV, leveling all the way up and then some.